like the show? Want to listen to episodes early? Consider becoming a patron. Starting at the $3 a month level, patrons get access to a custom patron-only feed where we put out episodes of Upstairs Studio podcasts like the Child Care Bar and Grill, Miss Becky's Classroom, That Early Childhood Nerd, the Renegade Rules podcast, and others early. That feed is just for patrons. You could be one of them. Go to patreon.com slash playvolutionhq or click the link in the show description to learn more. Welcome to Renegade Rules. Kick back, settle in, and let us fill your ear holes with early learning information, wisdom, and advice. And now, here's Heather and Jeff. Welcome to Renegade Rules. Jeff Johnson here with Heather Shoemaker. Heather, we've got uh, got guests back in the studio, and we're talking more about separation. Where are we going to jump in? Yeah, we hope that you enjoyed the separation from the program over the past week. Um, we have with us from my childhood preschool, the School for Young Children in Columbus, Ohio, affectionately called SYC. We have two experts on separation. Um, Don Nauman and Susan Rashino. Um, Susan is co-director of SYC and they've both been working with kids for, oh gosh, one or two decades. So they have had a lot of experience, as Susan said, with a lot of crying <laughs> and clinging <laughs> and ideas. Um, uh, the first episode, we really looked into the why we need to separate in the first place. And now here's some great ideas on how. Um, this is what I remember Susan and Don about when I was a child at SYC, there was sometimes a mother or a father sitting on a chair in the room next to where the kids were. So just around the corner, kind of safely accessible, but not even in the same room. And I wondered, um, usually my mother wasn't there because she was teaching <laughs> nearby and I could always go visit her, but there was often somebody who was kind of inching their way out, physically inching. And sometimes they'd be two rooms over instead of one room over. Do you wanna um, talk about that? And do you still do that? Yeah. Um, well, so pre-COVID, yes, we did. Um, mm -hmm. With COVID, we are not allowed to have anybody else in the building, including parents. Um, but pre-COVID, um, what would happen is we let families know that they are welcome to stay as long as they need to. So that might be days, it might be weeks, it might be months, or until their child is ready for them to leave, which is something we added on a little bit later. Um, so you might start off in the room and they might start off with a child, especially in the twos, child on their lap, hanging close by, maybe doing that little going off and coming back and going off and coming back. Um, and when it seems like the child's not needing to check in so much, we'll might say something like, bring something to do. For some adults, for some caregivers, it's hard to not be fun. Like while they're there, they wanna be playing the whole time. And you're like, okay, your kid's job here is not to play with you, but to start playing with other kids and meeting adults or meeting, trusting the teachers. So we'll say, bring a book, bring something boring to do. And you can still listen, but pretend like you're not there, just be there to check in. And then it might be moving out into the hallway. And then it might be walking across the parking lot to get a cup of coffee or going for 10 minutes to the bathroom. So going a little further and further away. And that might be because the child needs to check in regularly. It might be because the grown-up's not ready to be, take that full leap out. So we would give them a time to make those transitions. 
And if it felt like the teacher, the a parent is hanging out in a way that's getting an, interfering with the child's play, then we might suggest it sooner than later. Mm-hmm. And that John was really helpful with a few years ago is helping us figure that out that it's not just when your child is ready for you to leave, but it might be time. Yeah, Don, can you pick up on that thought? Yeah, so a lot of times um, I'll notice a parent really feels like their child isn't ready for them to time go. To but before you're ready. I will notice that um, really the child isn't playing, isn't engaging in things that I think that they're interested in because their parent is there and they feel like they have sort of a sense of responsibility to their parent. Like I can't go over here because that's where mom is and, and, and she's here obviously for me. And so I might not be able to explore all this comfortably while mom is still there. So sometimes we have to say to a parent, you know, I, I think that this might actually be holding your little guy back because they can't go and do the things that I know that they're interested in. They're not exploring, they're sticking with you. Yeah, so you have to step in and recommend. What about some other uh, methods that you use? Because I'm sure not everything works, um, not every idea works well for every family. So what are some other things you do? Well, another thing we're kind of famous for is writing notes and drawing pictures, which we talked a little bit about last time. Um, But I mean, I had a two-year-old one time that every day would say, mom, I want you to come back and I want you to bring me a muffin. I would write that note every day. Mom, I want you to come back and I want you to bring me a muffin. And in that same two-year-old class, um, one day I had one of the other kids actually with a clipboard saying, do you want me to write a note to your mother? Do you want me to put that you want a muffin on it? You know, these two-year-olds are doing this for each other because it becomes so part of the vernacular of the classroom that we're going to write a note and help kind of narrate this feeling you're having. You don't have the greatest language yet. We'll do the language part for you. Um, we'll acknowledge your feelings. And, and that's a big thing that we do, notes and letters. I'd like a muffin too. No one brings me a muffin. <laughs> you just need to write a note and it'll happen. I know. Sometimes with the older kids, they're willing to write their own notes. Um, and it changes as the kids get older. I think as sometimes it's harder, and John might be able to talk a little bit about this too, being in the four or fives, that once in a while, if you get a child in the four or five-year-old class who hasn't separated yet, um, They've had so much more time to kind of build up this feeling of not being away from their grown up that can be a little bit harder. So they still might like the notes, but it might have a different flavor to it. And sometimes it's angry. Sometimes yeah. I hate you because you left. I want you to come back now. And they might be mad and that's okay too. So when you get an angry note or a note with really big, strong feelings, um, you just write down exactly what they say? Yes. And then you give a little warning, say, okay, I'm gonna show you this note. It's going to say some stuff on it. This is where it's coming from. And we talk about that at orientation beginning of the year. You might get an I hate you note and that's okay. Or I'm really mad at you. But how great is it that they're expressing those feelings and they know that they can tell those feelings and get through them. And and also if, it, if the note is a very, I only just want you, mom, I love you. I miss you. I don't want to be at school. I mean, if this is just like, I definitely don't want to be handing a parent a guilt trip. So I might say, these are strong feelings, but I want you to know that most of the day they played trucks or, you know, most of the day, these are the things that they did. But for this part of the day, these were the feelings your child was having. And, and, um, but they, they got through them and then they played, they played with their friends. So, 
Yeah, I think it's important for the, um, the parents to know it's a snapshot in time so that guilt mechanism doesn't just come pouring out right. and they yank their kid out of your program and all that. Right. Well, and, and then, I'm sorry. Part of that is the trust that the parents have with us. Like, so one thing that I will always tell parents, I will, if I think your child is in danger, if I think their feelings are too big for them to be managing on their own at this time. I mean, we've had kids with severe separation issues beyond regular separation anxiety. I will call you. I promise you can call the office. They will check on your child, all these things so that they can kind of suss out whether it was something that they should have really been there for. So they have to trust us to know that we're going to let them have these big feelings that we think are feelings that they can manage and should manage. And with time, you get a hang of what you get. You, this feels right. This feels like we're going to get through it. We're on our way out of it. Um, and and those couple of times when it's been severe, it, it felt different. I mean, we could tell that it was something that was a little more that needed some more help and more of a plan. And in those situations, we more made it more of a plan. And so that's part of what we can do is if it becomes a pattern of behavior, make up a plan. So that plan might involve a goodbye ritual, um, having rituals and routines help to feel kids to feel safe and secure in what's happening. So maybe it's a special hug and a kiss or a special fist bump or something that you do when you say goodbye. Um, it might be a special hello ritual with the teacher. So you're transferring your, your affection from the, from, the, from the caregiver to the teacher. So to kind of welcome in. It might be um, having a predictable schedule of the day so the child knows what's gonna happen first and what's gonna happen next. Um, having those sorts of plans in place helps everybody to feel better, right? Helps the teacher to feel better because I know what I'm, how I'm going to handle it. I don't have to wing it. Helps the child feel better. They know what's going to happen and helps the parents know that they're going to be taken care of. And that takes a lot of conversation and cooperation. Mm -hmm. How do you bridge? What are some methods you use to bridge the, the home world and the school world? So, um, you know, ways that the kid realizes home is still there. I can go back to it, all those sorts of things. We um, make connections with the kids before school starts. So this year in the time of COVID, we did Zoom kind of check-ins well, of time. Um, we do home visits. Each teacher goes to their small group child children's houses to have a 20 minute half hour play date. Um, this year they were outside play dates, although some of them were at school. Um, so you're building that one-on-one -on -one connection and relationship. Um, regular communication with families. So if a child is upset, I might text the parent 20 minutes later when they're doing just fine and they're playing, say, here we are, all good. Um, letting, doing those sorts of things and make sure that everybody's on the same page. Mm -hmm. Having family uh, pictures is helpful. Having thing like pictures of the family in the classroom, that's something we always have. And bringing a lovey from home, if that's important to you. And we've even had kids bring whole picture books of their families so that they can flip through and connect with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, since you brought up loveys, that was on my uh, uh, mind as far as separation goes, there seem to be a lot of grownups who think there's a time in life where you have to give up and separate from your lovey, um, whether it's a teddy bear or blanket or whatever it is. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Susan? Um, there's no reason to, especially not at two or three or four or five to get up on your levy. If you're bringing it with you to career college classes and people can see it, maybe that's a problem, but it really doesn't happen. Um, and it can be all sorts of things. Um, we had a kid once who brought in his mom's negligee. That was his levy, but, you know, cause it felt good. It's that silky kind of feel to it. 
Um, now, when you bring it to schools, especially as with older kids, you're responsible for it. So if you leave it out on the floor, somebody might step on it or pick it up. Um, if you want it to be safe, it stays in your cubby. Um, it might get dirty or it might get paint on it. So you understand those caveats, but there's no reason. Why, why would you take away the thing that makes you feel better? I mean, you're already taking their grown up away. Why would you take away the thing that makes them feel better? I agree. The only thing that I worry a bit, a little bit about sometimes is kids that really rely. Um, sometimes it can be complicated if they really rely on nursing or pacifiers or things like that. I think some older kids that becomes something that there, there's just nothing that we can replace that with. And sometimes physicians don't want pacifiers for a long time because of what it can do to your teeth. But as far as a blankie or a stuffy goes, my my soon to be 19 year old still has her blankie. So I guess I, I'm a bad, <laughs> bad person to ask about how long you can have one because I'd say forever. Yeah. So I think when we talk about the, the topic of separation, that's something that comes into grownups minds. I've never heard a kid talk about, you know, well, it's time to give up the whatever. <laughs> I mean, if they're feeling mm -hmm. like they don't want to have their, their teddy bear out when their friend comes over, they'll stuff it under the bed or somewhere else, but they'll bring it out again when they realize the kid they invited over is safe to, because, because he brought over his bear too. <laughs> um, so I, I think um, for those who are listening and wondering about should you force the kid to separate? If separation is so good, should we force the kid to separate from a lovey? There's no upper age limit. And I'm sure there have been some people at 99 who've been buried with their favorite bear. Hope so. Uh -huh. Hope so, who, who could not love a bear? Uh -huh. um, so you mentioned earlier that there are some kids who really, um, the separation level is just extreme and much, mm -hmm. much different, you know, once in a blue moon. If somebody listening is thinking, oh gosh, that's my kid. It wasn't the first two, but now this third one has really big separation issues. Um, what are some just red flags that you've noticed over time that might help somebody realize if this is something unusual or this is something that's just regular run-of-the-mill separation? Hmm. Well, I think one thing is just the response. How, um, how, how big is the response? If it just seems like it feels more than just a regular discomfort, if it's screaming, if there's physical, if they're hitting you, if they're kicking you, if they're just seeming terrified and scared, that's a little different than I think I'm gonna miss my mom. Um, kids who have been able to separate, then maybe have had a family change or a something has happened in their personal life and then all of a sudden separation becomes a huge problem after they've had been able to do it that's a red flag right so and again it's um, not unable to articulate So separation is not always straightforward sometimes we take steps backward can you um address that a little bit? I mean, maybe the first two weeks, it's all fine. And then. Yeah, we tend to see it happen after um, an illness. So everybody gets off their, off their routine after an illness, um, after a vacation. So you get back after winter break and they're like, oh, we've been home together for three weeks. And why would I want to go back? Um, sometimes at the beginning of the year, they're fine with it because school is new. But after a month, six weeks, eight weeks, and they're like, not again, you know, so there can be some different reasons why it might get, it might get tricky. Um, 
So sometimes I'll have parents say, oh, these easy, no problem. Well, let's just be prepared. Let's have, be watching for it or know what we want, what we're going to do when it happens, if it happens, because you never know. Or maybe sometimes it's a sign of sickness coming on, you know, they're off, but you can't, and even kids who separated well when they were two or three, four or five, something different might happen. And it's not necessarily a sign of something bad, but it's something to kind of think about how you're going to handle it if or when it shows up. What other ideas do you think that a lot of people don't know about separation or ideas that, that you would suggest if somebody's, you know, having crying and clinging and, and worried about how they can separate well, what, what would you say to the, to the parent particularly about how you can, how you can do this and get through this? I would say be very consistent, remain calm and don't ask. It's not an asking thing. It's not okay, I'm going to go now. Okay. No, it's, I'm going to go now. It is time for you to be at school. I think that consistent, calm statement is the way to go. The hardest thing um, is when we see parents that just want the kids to make that decision for them so that they're kind of off the hook. I almost feel like maybe that's part of it. Um, but yeah, the parents, they're the ones Grown-ups make those decisions, not children. And so it's important for them to be able to kind of put on their big boy pants and go do that. So, And to do it decisively. I'm going to leave now. I'll see you after story time. I know the teachers will take care of you and then get out the door. Don't dawdle on your way out. Don't wait until they get settled in something. Don't talk to your friends on the way out. Decide and go. Because if you if you're, take your time about it and you're dawdling, then they're constantly looking out of the corner of their eye. Oh, did she leave yet? Did she leave yet? I don't know. Did she leave yet? When she can leave. And you can't get settled in. It's kind of the ripping the Band-Aid off thing. Just if you're going to go, go. Just. Mm -hmm. And I often said to a parent, they'll say, okay, I'm going to leave. And they're still there. I'm like, are you going to go? And they're like, should I go? I'm like, yeah, yeah. You, should, you mm -hmm. said go. You need to go. Um, so decisiveness, I think, is super important. Um, and and that's got to come from a place of trust. Right. And at our school, we really, we just really believe in saying goodbye. I, so many people have kind of um, either have had experiences in the past. I actually worked somewhere this summer in an infant classroom where people just thought the thing to do was to sneak out. And I just like, I would just stop those parents in their tracks and say, nope, sorry, you're going to say goodbye now. I'd rather them cry and know you're leaving then turn around and not be able to find you. I mean, which is worse to know that they left or not know where they are. There's a big, big difference. Ha having mommy disappear like a ninja so, tonight is know. a tough thing. Right. Cause yeah. when's she going to disappear yeah. next time? How do you ever trust her? Well, yeah. can, can, wow. we touch on, can we touch on infants for a little bit? Because back in my, my center director days, um, you know, the, the young infants, it's, it's generally pretty easy for them to separate because sure. they're going to go to sleep and they're going to wake up three hours later and eat. Mm -hmm. But it's really tough, especially for first time parents. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking about this listening back when technology was new. I would, I would let parents know that, you know, call me as I've got my cell phone, call me as, as much as you need. Mm -hmm. But then the other thing would do is I would, I would send them pictures back when to send a picture, I had to take it on the digital camera and then take the little card thing out and put that <laughs> in the computer. So, so it was like a 20 minute process to, right. to email a picture to a parent, but it, it gave them the sense of, 
oh, right. they're okay while I'm here. Um, so, and I mean, we, as the technology got better, we did that with, with kids of all ages as well as sending parents little video clips or photos during the day, um, especially during that first couple of weeks, because it was, it was, it just it, it eased things for, for them. They, they could be at work and focus on work and, and see that their child was okay with us. Right. And there, and you know, parents of this day and age are of such a generation of sending photos to each other. And that's just a way that they communicate so naturally. So yes, we would do that a lot with the infants that had sobbed when their parents left, but you know, got their groove on and sitting happily stacking blocks or whatever, or, you know, um, snuggling with a teacher in a chair and just being cozy and comfortable, snapping a picture and sending it off and saying, yeah, your kid is doing great. That was a rough, you know, couple minutes, but see, they're, they're thriving. Yeah, this is 20 minutes after you left and, and life is okay. Yeah. Can you mention something about the process of dropping off a child? Because I have seen programs where they will not let the parents out of the car to walk their child into the mm -hmm. program. They insist on it is easier for everybody if we just take your child out of the car seat ourselves and you drive off. Mm -hmm. um, and because there's no crying that way, they said, mm -hmm. and I'm thinking, but there's no goodbyes and you're not touching and mm -hmm. you're strapped into a car seat and then your parent is a car, your parent is not a human. Um, sorry to mm -hmm. sound so biased, but um, <laughs> can you comment mm -hmm. on, on a practice of extracting children from cars rather than having, and putting them back in? They weren't allowed to hug when they got mm -hmm. reunited. They were just inserted into the car seat and strapped in. Well, we are not that far. We are greeting families at their cars due to COVID restrictions at this point. Um, but there's definitely, most of my parents I found have a really cool goodbye ritual or a certain way that they hug and kiss and, and say goodbye. Um, we don't have twos this year. And I do kind of wonder in the back of my mind, how would the twos have been handling this sort of same drop off? I think it would have been harder. Most of these kids are back in school because their parents know that school is a great place for them and that's where they want to be. But it hasn't been without, um, you know, a few tears here and there or kids not really liking the system. But I don't know how you um, expect children to separate without honoring the relationship with their parents and pulling kids out of car seats and putting them back into car seats doesn't seem to include parents in the equation, in my opinion. Now, some places do it for safety reasons. If they're on a very busy street, um, there is a local preschool in Columbus that had a child that was killed in the parking lot. It wasn't, they just, they started doing that so that they felt that they could keep the kids safe. So there's lots of reasons why people make those choices, but I like it better when the parents can give a big smooch and do all those things and be standing next to the car with their arms open wide at the end of the day. So that's a good thing to see. We've missed having the families in the building, obviously, um, but it's gone way better than we thought it would. Um, I think partly because we prepped everybody really well on what it was going to be like. And we encouraged families to get a goodbye ritual together so that this is what it means. You know, when, when we do this and this, this is when I'm saying goodbye. And the parents taking the child out of the car, the teacher's there to greet them and to do our temperature check and stuff. And then they do their goodbyes and same thing outside the car on the way back. Um, but we've missed having parents in the room. And I think something that's important to acknowledge, I think the parents are missing out on that learning that happens when they're hanging out in the room. They're not getting a chance to see how we talk to kids, how we work with kids, how their kids engaging with other children. 
and that's not separation related, but it's definitely a cost. Um, at the same time, there are some kids who've had trouble in the past with separation and this new way seems to be working. So I don't know. And I don't know what will happen when we're done with this whole COVID thing. <laughs> you think we're going to be done with it? That's cute. <laughs> <laughs> I have to, I have to think that we're going to be done with it someday, Jeff. Right. We will. Hey, you mentioned um, orientation a couple times, and my experience is programs, re a lot of programs don't really focus on the separation piece during their orientation or onboarding as much as maybe they should. Um, so could you just kind of quickly walk us through kind of what that process looks like in your program? Yeah, it involves teachers acting it out. So our orientation, <laughs> <laughs> which Don's laughing at because it's not always a favorite activity of the teachers. But um, our orientation, the Sunday before school starts, there's a little bit of talking. And then we think the three hardest things that are two, actually two hardest things that parents have understanding of what we do is how we deal with conflict and how we deal with separations. So our teachers act out a skit, a separation skit. There's somebody's a parent, somebody's the kid, somebody's a teacher, somebody's another teacher. The parent comes in, I mean, it always works out the same way every year. The parent walks in and says, oh, I have to leave child now. We know, yeah, I know I've been staying for a couple of days, but I have to leave today. And the teacher says, okay, I'll take good care of the child. And um, we have a couple of teachers who are very good at acting the part of the crying child. So they'll cry. The teacher will help take hold of the child as the parent leaves. The parent will go out and talk to the other, the other teacher actor. And, and they'll say something like, oh, will you call me if she doesn't calm down? So yeah, we'll call. You can call the office and check. We'll be fine. You know, we'll be fine. We'll let you know. And then the teacher acts out all the things that we would do with a crying child. She sits with them for a while. till so they're, it sounds like they, maybe they're done crying. She'll get out a paper and help her write a note. They'll sit and they'll observe what kind of goes on around the room. Um, I think sometimes adults are afraid that if I stay with them for the feelings, I'm going to be stuck there forever. Um, but I'll sit with a child for a while. And then the teacher will say something like, oh, I see some kids over there playing blocks and some kids over there doing dress ups. When you're ready, you know, maybe you wanna try one of those things. And sometimes the kid in the story says, yeah, I'm ready. And sometimes they're, no, I wanna sit here for a while. And the teacher says, all right, we'll sit for a little while. So we act that out. Um, and I think it's a powerful thing for families to see, this is what it looks like. This is what it sounds like. Um, and I think that helps them imagine themselves in that situation. When I'm leaving the room, this is what's happening with my child. There's somebody sitting with them lovingly, helping them write out their feelings, accepting their cries and helping them figure out what to do next. Yeah, and just realizing their family isn't the only one that goes through that is a, is a great thing. Yeah. Right. I will say that I've had parents say, I never got a note. They always were happy to go to school. <laughs> you know, they wanted one of those notes. To put in the baby book. Yeah. <laughs> Well, sometimes a kid who doesn't have trouble separating, if she falls down and hurts her knee, you know, gets a skinned, skinned knee, and then, you know, one time in the year, they might feel like, I really want my dad now, or I really want my grandma right now. So maybe that family will still have their moment. Right. Well, and we've seen that children use this at home. Um, so uh, we had a, a parent education night one night, and um, a brother and sister were in our child care part of the, of the parent education night. Um, and the younger brother was sad because he didn't want to be there, wanted to be with his grownups. So the sister brings out a piece of paper and draws a note for him. Here's you and here's mom and dad and they're going to be fine when they come back. Um, and then we've had kids who go home and um, Dawn's got a story of a kid who um, yeah. has to go to parent ed. Yeah, she left to, came, she left to come to the orientation. And when she came back, 
um, there was a note in their mailbox that the dad had helped the child write that said, I wish you weren't born at orientation. I wish you were home right now. So it was like happening, you know, while we're doing a skit about separation, she's got her kid at home. Hey, I learned this last year in preschool. I'm feeling uncomfortable about mom not being here. Let's write her a note. So the kids really take it on. And what a skill to have to know that as an adult or a young adult, you can write out your feelings and they will be seen and heard. Mm-hmm. I mean, my ki- my own kids for the longest time and even now, if we have something hard to talk about, it starts off in writing. We start off because it's that different way of communicating. You don't have to see the person's face sometimes. Um, and the power, the power of language, the power of the written word. I can take this thing I'm feeling and I can, I can make it something tangible, something that I could hold, something that can hold with me and then I can give it to someone else and say, here's my feelings. You know, mm-hmm. I'm you with my feelings to hold on to it. I mean, what a, a great skill for adults if we all had that kind of passion and the, the, the knowledge that, that our, our words are important, our feelings are important. Yeah. And just to leave you with a last story. So you can write notes to inanimate objects as well. So my youngest, uh, when he was little, his blankie um, went everywhere. And so it, it needed to be washed sometimes. And so one night when my husband was out at the laundromat, we had to write a note to Blanky. And it, you know, it says, um, well, it was dear Papa and Blanky, you know, please bring Blanky back. I miss Blanky so much. Come back from the laundromat. <laughs> so it doesn't have to be an adult. It can be, it can be any object that the child is missing. And it feels so much better to get it out, doesn't it? Yeah. Get it and then the later. child can hold that note and cry on that note as well as cry on your lap until they're done with that feeling and move on in that mm-hmm. case to sleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, hey. thank you so much for joining us. I think um, listeners really would gain a lot from trying some of these ideas about separation out and really just knowing with your calmness and assurance that this is something that's supposed to happen. And when you leave, you leave. And those feelings, there's tools to cope with those feelings and not to be afraid of a few tears because they won't last forever. And listeners, I know we're going to be back in another week with another episode, but I'm going to, I'm going to sign off and I'm going to sit here drawing pictures of you all driving to work, walking on the treadmill, doing laundry, all those things that you do when you listen to the podcast, because it's, it's so hard for me to let you go. This has been a Renegade Rules, back soon with another episode. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. Music by Alexander Shoemaker. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh. Hey, we need your support to keep the podcasts flowing. Go to explorationsearlylearning.com slash support to learn how. One of the big things you can do is shop Amazon with the link we provide. You buy your cat food, you buy your kids' books, you buy whatever it is you buy on Amazon, you pay the regular price. We get a small percentage of it. Everybody wins. A lot of people are doing it. It really supports the shows, and we really appreciate it. Give it a try. Thanks. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.